having this series of encounters with Jesus, so it includes uh, often a testimony um, of a person's encounter or encounters with Jesus and then something from the Word. So um, privileged today to have uh, Sam share his story of his encounters with Jesus and um, so uh, the locals being in this area, a uh, long time, been to Australia, back but in um, the, with us this morning. So let's pray. Yeah, thank you for Sam and Debbie. And um, thank you for their uh, tenacity in the faith. Uh, and many have walked away, but these two have remained. And we thank you for that. And um, speak to us as you speak through Sam. Now we ask Jesus' name. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Carl. Well, I'm feeling um, queasy in the stomach, weak at the knees, but um, I find it a great privilege that I can declare the great works of God that he has wrought in my life. I count it a great pleasure to, um, to speak about what great things he has done for me and uh, my family. Firstly, as Pastor Carl said, my name's uh, Sam Horsfall, and there's my beautiful wife and best friend over there, Debbie, as most of you may know. Uh, I suppose, uh, although I've been in the walk for, got saved 1980, so that'll be 37 years, uh, it was just like yesterday. Um, I can remember every detail of uh, how God delivered me and, um, and how he set me free. And I just want to share just a little bit about that now. Um, when I was about 19, I was uh, in one of the pubs, the record rain, I don't know if it still exists, but anyhow, it was there. And um, I woke up, I'd been drinking with my mates most of the day and somehow they had disappeared and I was asleep and I woke up, they had all gone and so I sort of staggered out of the pub and I thought to myself, man there's got to be more to life than this This because uh, I'd been drinking since I was about, I suppose 14, my dad died when I was 12 and so um, I said there's got to be more to life than this, there's, there's got to be something else than this and I started uh, searching and a friend of mine uh, his partner was into Buddhism and uh, she started to talk to me about Buddhism and give me books and I started to read a lot about it and started to uh, uh, accept the teachings you know of uh, reincarnation and all the rest of it and uh, karma and um, and then uh, also I had another friend who was in, into sorcery you could say he was, uh, he was a thing of Carlos Castaneda which was uh, um, he talked a lot about the peyote cactus and taking the uh, the, peyote, the, the shamans used to take the peyote cactus for their uh, um, uh, for their ceremonies. And of course, the peyote cactus has a, a drug called mescaline, and which is a hallucinogenic. And uh, you could hallucinate for about ten hours, no problem. So anyhow, um, I used to take this cactus tube with, with my mate. Uh, one day, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, and who best friend came over to my flat and my mate uh, we were all there, we decided to take because uh, we had brewed up this cactus juice and we decided to, to take it for the, uh, for the night, it was a Friday night, Saturday night so we all took a swig of the cactus juice and um, my wife uh, <coughs> or my girlfriend at, the, at that stage, she decided to go off to the sand down so we all sat around uh, the three of us, uh, we started to hallucinate and then the girl that was with us, she hadn't taken drugs before and she got a bit paranoid 
and she was starting to freak us out, and we were all starting to freak out. We we're going to be a bad, bad trip. So my mate says to me, "Oh, hey, bro, uh, I think we better should uh, actually knock her out, so uh, she won't um, upset us." And I says, "Oh no, man, we can't knock her out. We might end up killing her because we're hallucinating. <laughs> we might end up killing her." So I said, "No, nah, I can't do that." And he said, "Oh, well, I'm out of here. She, she, she's, um, I'm losing the plot here." So he left. Cut a long story short. Um, we hallucinated for about uh, 10 hours, uh, went through this whole thing, and then uh, three days later, I was at uh, my girlfriend's house. She was looking after an old lady at the time. It was a living help. And uh, my mate Rangi turned up, and he goes, oh, hey, bro, guess what happened to me that night? I says, no, I wouldn't have a clue. And he goes, uh, when I left your house, I, I thought these demons were trying to get into me. So I, um, so I, uh, I went to seek my mother for help because his mother was a born-again Christian. And he went back to his mum's house and she asked uh, his mother for help. And his mother said to him, I can't help you, but I know who can. Jesus can help you. And so um, that night he said that he gave his heart to the Lord and he was instantly delivered from the drugs. And he just was praising, praising the Lord all night and uh, reading the Bible while I was still hallucinating uh, back at the flat. <laughs> and um, he, uh, and he tried to tell me about Jesus. And um, I said, oh, no, man, there's more ways to, to, uh, to God than just Jesus. You know, there's Buddha, there's Muhammad, there's all these other things that, that Jesus isn't the only way. He says, man, I, I know he's influencing you, but I can't say. But uh, my mum's in the car. Do you want her to, uh, is right, she comes in and has a chat with you? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problems. So um, his mum came in. I knew her, Charlotte. Um, she's with the Lord now. Uh, she uh, came and she started to uh, talk to me about Jesus. And again, I said to her, oh, nah, there's more ways to uh, God than just Jesus. Yeah. And she said, well, Sam, uh, my son, Rangi, and I have told you the truth. You've rejected the truth. She said, from now on, your blood is upon your own head. And when she said that, it was like uh, the Lord gave me a glimpse of a lost eternity forever if I didn't repent. And so... um, I was disturbed about it, but I tried to be tough. I said, oh, that's cool. You know how it is. That's cool. And uh, she left, and I couldn't sleep that night. And I, um, I just, God was working in my heart. And then um, uh, that morning, I uh, couldn't wait to get over to her house. And I knocked on the door, and um, she, she answered the door, and she says, Oh, Sam, what can I do for you? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, How do I repent? I didn't know how to repent. I didn't know anything about what to do. And she said, Sure, come in. And um, so Rangi was there, and uh, she, um, she led me into the sinner's prayer. I asked uh, God to forgive me for my sins. And... Um, I invited Jesus to be my saviour. 
like I say, it's as real as it was um, yesterday. Praise God. And it was 35 years ago. 38? (laughs) (laughs) And of course, God brought uh, my wife and I together. Um, She gave her heart to the Lord and she became became a Christian as well. My mum and my, my sisters have become believers. So God has done great things. Um, this is uh, just a, a short story of my tipuna. His name was called um, Thomas Albert. He was a whaler. He came over. And he, um, he married a few of the local Māori women around here. But uh, they were, uh, they were uh, well-known Māori women. Uh, they were quite well, well-to-do. So I think he was after land, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> but anyhow, he married them. And uh, through them came um, uh, Wipere, this Ridia Mawaranui, this Thomas Halbert married Ridia Mawaranui, who gave birth to Thomas Halbert, uh, gave birth to Wipere, which you'll see his monument on the Turanganui River. Well, that was his son. Now, the story of uh, Thomas Halbert is that one day he went out onto, the, uh, onto a schooner and he, um, he went out drinking with his buddy, he was a whaler, and then he, he rode back in, into the bay here, and it was low tide, and as you know, it's all mud flats. And his Māori name, they called him Tomepoto, which means a man of little stature, a bit like me. So anyhow, he, um, he got out of his boat and he, and he went to, to, to try and get to the land. He must have been a bit drunk as well. And he got stuck in the mud. And he couldn't actually get out. And uh, it must have been pretty late at night or whatever, but I, I believe he must have yelled for help. Nobody answered. He, he would have cried for somebody to save him, but nobody answered. And, of course, the tide came in and he drowned. And um, I just want to take a verse from Psalm, uh, Psalm 40, verse 2. Uh, Psalm 40, verse 2. And it says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And I I give that illustration to the fact that um, uh, this miry clay that I was in was sin. I was stuck in the mire of sin. And um, I cried out to God and he heard me. And he lifted me up on the, out of the miry clay and he put me upon a rock. And of course we know that the rock is Christ Jesus. And so that my, foot, my footsteps are sure. And that's what God has done for me. My great-great-great-grandfather had no one to save him or deliver him from the, from the muddy flats. But um, I praise God that he set me free and delivered me from the mire of sin. I didn't know that sin was destroying my life until I gave it to my life to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Isn't that good? Uh, amazing. And this often happens that uh, our Lord puts things together in our service without people knowing it. So um, one of those verses that Sam shared
is um, part of our text today. But the encounter actually going to talk about is uh, Paul's encounter, not his first encounter with Jesus, not on the road to Damascus, but it was after he'd had a um, really hard time in ministry, and then the Lord appeared to him in a vision. I don't know. Who's, who's, um, who's had a dream or a vision where the Lord is? You just know that it's been the Lord speaking to you. Can you a little show of hands here? Probably about half, maybe more than that, maybe two-thirds, something like that. But uh, I've had a few, not many, uh, dreams, and I'm going to start uh, tell you one of them. And it was the time we were just about getting ready to go to Africa. One of my friends, his dad came around. He was a strong Christian, but quite unusual. And he came around and wanted to say something to us. And he came around and he said, um, you're not ready, don't go. Which really, um, yeah, really kind of upset us a bit and made us just question, was he right? You know, was this God's calling? And uh, it was either that night or a night later, I had this dream. And I just knew it was the Lord speaking. And in the dream, it was, I was back at high school. And uh, in fact, I was going to play rugby in my high school rugby team. And I went down to the bus stop, had my sports bag, it was this yellow bag I always took to rugby games. And I got on the bus. And, and on the bus trip, I realized I didn't have all my gears. I didn't have my rugby boots, didn't have my shorts socks, uh, but I was on the bus going to the game, and then I got down to the college, it was about five kilometers away, went into the changing rooms, and I opened up the bag, and as I opened up the bag and went, went in there, everything I needed was in the bag, and the Lord was saying, everything you need as you go on mission, I will give you, and uh, yeah. So we're going to look at a, a vision that Paul has after a hard time. So this is Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 11. Acts 18, verses 1 to 11. After this, Paul left Athens. He'd had a really hard time in Athens and in Philippi and uh, Thessalonica. He went from Athens, went to Corinth. It was about 80 kilometers away. There he met a Jew named Aquila a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Emperor Claudius. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, they came with some money, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he took out, he shook out his clothes and protested and protested and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord 
and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. So, the context. Paul had a rough time. And so he left Athens, went to uh, Corinth, had a hard time in Greece and Philippi. Opposition and violence. And even in Corinth, he's, he was hitting up against some opposition. Fairly, it's fairly safe to assume that Paul was not feeling all that perky about things. He wasn't feeling perky about his ministry, his future. And as we read this, I want to say, you know what? You know what? It's not all good news about the good news. It's not all good news about the good news. There is some bad news about the good news. And the first thing is this. Bad news about the good news, verses 4 and 5. Not everyone gets it. Not everyone gets it. Not everyone gets the good news. Not everyone appreciates it. Not everyone understands what what's the big deal about this. Why you know why are you making such a big fuss about this good news stuff? Not everyone gets it. You know, even people you would expect to get it, like your family, your friends. Not everyone gets it. And. And Paul tried really hard for them to get it. He reasoned with them. Verse 4. He tried to persuade them. And when he got that financial ability that Timothy and Silas brought, he devoted himself full time to explaining it. But not everyone got it. But that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that he stopped. It doesn't mean that we stop. Didn't, he didn't give up. He didn't stop speaking. So the bad news about the good news is not everyone gets it. But wait, there's some worse news about the good news. (laughs) And the worst news about the good news is sometimes when they don't get it, they give it to you. They give you a stick. They get stuck into you. Verse 6 says, they became abusive. Verse 12, we didn't read that, but they attacked Paul, brought him into the court. You know, there's, there's different types of opposition, from low scale down to high-grade high opposition. Uh, abuse, ridicule, laughing at, excluding, overlooking, right, right through to physical abuse and persecution. And if that happens to you, you're a good company. It happened to Paul. It's happened to many through church history, history of the church. So sometimes there's bad news about the good news. Sometimes there's worse news about the good news, but there's good news about the good news. Hallelujah. And the good news about the good news is, firstly, there's God's presence, and also there's God's protection, and also there's God's progress. God's presence. Verse 10, the Lord says, I am with you, Paul. 
in this vision. He says, I am with you. God's presence, in spite of the bad news and the worst news. Secondly, good news, God's protection. You will not be harmed. You will not be harmed. And thirdly, the good news about the good news, God's progress. I have many in this city. I have many in this city. Paul couldn't see them yet. Other believers, they couldn't see them yet, but God spoke to them. Don't give up. Don't stop speaking. Don't be afraid. I have many in this city. They're coming. They're coming. There's many that are coming. We can't see them yet, but they're coming. And so the good news about the good news, some get it. Verse 8, some get it. Crispus, the synagogue leader, he got it. His household got it. Many Corinthians got it, believed and were baptized. You know, and God is making progress. Some are getting it. Some are getting it. I want to tell you a story about uh, not this man, but this man's father. This man's name is Don Carson, one of the highest regarded scholars, evangelical world, last 50 years. He's written or edited 57 books. Not going to talk about him, but about his dad. His dad was an Irishman, felt called to go and pastor in French-speaking Canada, Quebec. So he learned French, pastored several churches there. Uh, most of them were tiny in Quebec, 35 to 50 people. And in the early years in French-speaking Canada, in the 40s and 50s, very, very hard going. Lots of, like, not only opposition, but persecution. Pastors were uh, tormented, beaten, some were jailed. Not very long ago. And his dad, most often as a pastor, was bivocational. So he worked, uh, day job, was a pastor as well. The churches were so small. There were about, in French-speaking Canada, about 35, 36 Churches, Protestant churches, until 1972, our revival blossomed out to 500, he said. So Don Carson, that's the background, Don Carson tells this story about his dad. Uh, Don was first or second year at high school. It was about 1960, and what was happening in the world, in Africa at that stage, uh, Congo, Belgium, Congo, was erupting into violence. And all the expats were getting out of Congo because of the violence, including the missionaries. And because many of these missionaries had learned French, knew French, they were looking for different uh, French-speaking areas where they could go and minister. And so many of them turned up in French-speaking Canada, Quebec. But uh, very few, hardly any of them lasted. And Don said uh, they wouldn't last six months. And Don, as a 14 or 15-year-old, was talking to his dad in his study one day. And Don says to his dad, what's wrong with all these people? They come and then they, they just, they don't last, they don't persevere, they just go. And he said his dad was a very gracious, gentle man. He says, son, you need to understand uh, what about these people. 
He said, in Africa, they have seen the gracious gracious hands of God in their work. And they've seen churches just just, uh, sprout up. They've seen whole denominations start. They've seen schools and hospitals. And when they come here and they see how hard it is, what they do in their heads is they assume that God is not at work here. And Don says, with all the arrogance of a teenage boy, he says, well, why don't you go somewhere better, Dad? Why don't you go and do, make something of your life? And he said, his dad turned on him and he says this. He says, quoting Acts 18 verse 10, he says this, I believe God has many people in this place. I stay. I stay. And his dad walked out of the room. And that's what God said to Paul. I have many people in this place. I want you to stay. So Paul stayed a year and a half, verse 11. Despite the opposition, he stayed. He stayed. He stayed. St. Bernadette Bernadette was a monk in the 6th century. You notice many of the monks at that stage were very unstable. They would turn up at the monasteries and they would stay a few days. And then normally something would displease them or they got bored with the tedium of the, of the daily work of the, the monastery. And so St. Benedict, he introduced a new vow and it was the vow of stability. Staying put. And Paul's staying put resulted in many coming to faith and establishment of the Corinthian church, great church, great and troubled church. And God spoke to Paul in the night in this vision and he said this, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. You'll be okay. I'm here. I'm here. I have many people in this city. I want to say to us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. You'll be okay. He has many people in this place. I believe that. I believe that God has many more people in this place. We can't see them yet, but he has them. They're in his mind. I believe God has many people in the city of Gisborne and the coast and down other ways. And he's with us. And as we celebrate communion, I want us to think of this, that he is with us. Uh, We're going to have some background music. If we can, uh, if you don't mind, uh, maybe one, two, three, four. Bruce, uh, Lynn, someone can help distribute this. I'm with you. Keakwe hokiaho, I'm with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you do speak to us. You encounter us. You continue to speak to us. 
and you reassure us even when we're afraid and when things are not going so well, when there's bad news and when there's worse news. There's also good news about the good news. And as we remember you and your strength and your perseverance and your dedication to the task that your Holy Father gave you, we ask the same for us, that we not be afraid, that we keep speaking, that we acknowledge that we are aware of your presence with us. After communion, we're going to um, uh, just open it up for people to be prayed for. You know, twice today there's been that verse, uh, the blood be on your own head. There's a chance here to, uh, to receive salvation. If you have not received salvation yet, uh, if you, you two don't mind helping pray and the others help pray. Um, do you remember what it felt like to be lost? I remember that as an 18-year-old. And if you have that feeling and you want to get rid of that feeling that, and you want to, instead of feeling today of being found or being refound, uh, that's going to be given to you today. So after communion, can our prayers come up? Can Sam and Deb come up? And um, people would love to, these people would love to pray for you. If you want that feeling of being found, being refound, we'll offer that to you today.